Hey everybody, this is Joshua Heston. And I'm Lisa Martin. And this is the Dark Ozarks on the Branson Podcast Network. We're an exploration of everything that's dark in history, mysteries, the paranormal, and everything else. We explore the noir, the unknown, cryptozoology, UFOs, paranormal, and all the dark stuff that happens in the Ozarks. You can find Dark Ozarks on Branson Podcast Network on Facebook under Dark Ozarks, as well as our YouTube channel, Dark Ozarks. We'll leave no stone unturned to bring you the dark history, mysteries, and legends of the Ozarks. Welcome to the Dark Ozarks. We are discussing the effect of pop culture on our perception of history and the paranormal. We will get back to that in a minute, but first we want to remind you that the Dark Ozarks podcast is now available on Branson Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or about any other podcast platform. So what Dark Ozarks subject has been impacted the most by pop culture? There are several possible answers, really, from the repackaging of our shared experiences in the form of commercialized entertainment, to the expression of changing anxieties and fears through the 20th and 21st centuries in the form of our changing views on the paranormal, aliens, and things that go bump in the night, to a growing list of cliches and urban legends that leave out the best part of what really happened. It's a hard choice. We will return to the question of how culture has fooled you about dark history and everything that scares you in a minute. But first, we want to invite you to like, follow, and subscribe to Dark Ozarts on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, as well as your favorite podcast platform. We also invite you to become a Dark Ozarts subscriber on Facebook. On the Dark Ozarts Facebook page, click subscribe, have your login information ready, and join Dark Ozarts behind the scenes for only $4.99 per month. Your $4.99 per month subscription allows you to come with us on paranormal investigations, deep dive research, and topics too controversial for public view. The next 100 subscribers will be entered in a drawing for a free Dark Ozarks t-shirt and an exclusive signed first-run copy of the book Dark Ozarks The Spooklight. Subscribe today to be entered in the drawing. And now you can get Dark Ozarks t-shirts for sale at darkozarts.com and paranormalsciencelab.com. We encourage you to check out Always Buying Books in Joplin, Missouri, in person and online on Facebook and at the website alwaysbuyingbooks.com for all your reading needs, including a large section on the paranormal, history, and more. Not to mention, the building is haunted. Tell Bob and Elise that we sent you. We also want to thank Beard Engine Brewing Company in Alba, Missouri. Beard Engine Brewing is the only English-style brewery in Missouri and has been twice named Missouri's best brewery by the Missouri Brewers Association. Great beer and great food in a historical building with a noir past. And yes, their building is also haunted. Tell Nate and Tiff that we sent you. Oh, great stuff. And great stuff tonight. So, you were saying earlier you were abducted by aliens. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, they, they took me uh, for Valentine's Day and, uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, and brought me back rather rapidly, converted me into a Razorbacks fan. And uh, I only have a few memories of the experience. 
well, that's probably a, a, a good thing. You it know, is. It you is. know, there might be probing, probing memories. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, I, uh, <laughs> of course, I might have just fallen asleep watching X Files. It's hard. There to see. And the fact that we, everyone could joke through and laugh through that is pop culture. It is. It is. And, and for tonight, it's demon aliens. <laughs> <laughs> is that different than alien demons? That's what I want to know. Mm, depends on the portal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is. One, this is this is a first for us. It's not a first for the topic. It is a first that this is our focus topic. Usually, elements of tonight's topic in terms of paranormal, pop culture, ufology, etc., wind their way into nearly any discussion that we're talking about. And tonight, those things that always wind their way in—that is the the topic. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think it, it is probably not. A bad thing just to set the stage with the the definition of uh, of pop culture itself. Uh, it's one of those things that that we typically we we recognize often, but it is it is you know sometimes it's hard to fully wrap your head around because we're so immersed in pop culture as a whole. And I think mm -hmm. that uh, is, mm, is, is interesting. For me, it's typically Scooby-Doo and X-Files and Star Trek references, but it, and Supernatural uh, at yeah. this point. But what, what would be your broad, broad definition of pop culture? Um, I, I, I think because I, I, I actually went through some definitions uh, this afternoon thinking about this and the elements that basically pretty much come up over and over is a, uh, a means of communication and usually entertainment, but it can also be even forms of news and politics that is aimed at everyone um, and that everyone in a society pretty much across the board at a given moment sort of gets the inside reference on whatever. So it, it's distinguished from high, you know, quote, high culture, which would be more academic, more um, uh, high flutin, you know. Um, we're, we're not talking about the opera and <laughs> literary fiction. Uh, and it's also distinct from folk culture, which um, folk culture and pop culture, I think are are merging more now than they have in the past. Um, and maybe some of the, you know, sort of the experts in the field might disagree, but 
folk culture usually is um, sort of the ordinary person, usually a rural culture, um, salt of the earth, so to speak. Um, so for instance, a good, I think a good example would be say like um, a conjuring woman. Typically yes. in the past, that would be folk culture. Um, um, you know, a conjuring woman or uh, a granny witch. Um, but now pop culture has more and more embraced some of the topics that would traditionally be folk culture. And that does include not only say witchcraft, uh, voodoo, but the paranormal as well. It does, and you you jump ahead um, into particularly TV, uh, paranormal related TV. I think that we really are beginning to see our our folk culture being introduced, uh, sometimes effectively, sometimes not. I think the, the moment that it happened was the second time the Winchester brothers decided to hunt a Rougarou. <laughs> well, if you want to reference Supernatural, you, you know, we can, you know, there are a number of uh, episodes that actually take place in the Ozarks and there's only one, uh, one place that um, they hunt twice and that's actually Carthage, Missouri. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Oh, which I love, and yeah, it's and <clears throat> these these subjects. Oftentimes, you do have to not get too high up on your academic pedestal in terms of appreciating it, but also appreciating how it is intertwining uh, awareness with entertainment. It is. Um... And, and another aspect of it is by definition, it can be transient because what is pop culture today in five years may not be. Um, and, um, and as we were talking, I was actually th just thinking that with the paranormal, there's actually an example that at, um, at one point, the paranormal and spiritualism in particular probably were not pop culture only, but it was high culture during the mid 1800s um, and, and, and then a resurgence around World War One. Uh, yeah. Spiritualism in a lot of regards became high culture because it was the intellectual class that uh, really uh, pursued it. Um, you know, including people like Arthur Conan Doyle. Yes, and that is something that a number of people, I, I feel, are oftentimes very surprised with, uh, mm -hmm. especially with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. The, the the fact that he is regarded as such a he's so British uh, as such a a post enlightenment figure of rationality through his character of Sherlock Holmes, I think it takes many people by surprise that he was a proponent and studier of uh, spiritualism. That's true. Uh, other examples would be Thomas Edison, 
Nikola Tesla, yes. um, um, Albert Einstein, in fact, mm -hmm. was interested in spiritualism in the paranormal. Um, so and, and the we're really talking in many cases, whether it's literature or technology or science, many of the the great minds, the great thinkers, or the the men behind the scenes, uh, or individuals, or or women behind the scenes, uh, with you know, Madame Blavatsky comes to mind. Uh, yeah. of individuals who really were crossing that threshold many, many times that sometimes we're very well aware that they did so, other times not. And you could you could say that it had a is certainly their their quest for knowledge, if not an actual penetration of the metaphysical, but their quest for knowledge certainly has magically impacted the 20th century. And of course, as evidenced by the history of the 20th century, not all of that magic was good. True, true. And by the same token, those individuals might be a little surprised at the current pop culture state of the subject of the supernatural. <laughs> that could be very fair. And I, I do, I think that the reference to the spiritualism being high culture, you know, beginning in, uh, in New England, beginning mm -hmm. in upstate New York, and it, it to varying degrees, transitioning from this almost uh, Chautauqua style uh, study to mm -hmm. something that is a bit more P.T. Barnum. Well, there you there you go, because you really, you know, the beginnings of pop culture, particularly in North America, you know, kind of sit at P.T. Barnum's feet. <laughs> they do. <clears throat> they do. And I think that certainly with the, the paranormal uh, as a as a as a focusing lens, but uh, pop culture as a whole, so many of the things that we love and hate simultaneously about American culture is tied to this uh, this con constant pull that could be surprising when you realize that it's something that has really been innate in American culture or United States culture since the inception of the nation. This uh, constant pull between uh, refinement and high society and complete uh, bombastic carnivalesque capitalism that is is always warring and in so many cases the you know the, what, what seems to be the case is that you have uh, anger conflict disgust um, all of these things arising out of it at the time and then you give it 50 years, and if we're still aware of it, it's regarded with love, sentimentality, nostalgia. Uh, it's the good old days. Could we just go back to when we used that typeface? And uh, you know, everything was, was uh, you know, uh, greatest show on earth. And uh, never mind about the poor elephant and Edison. we digress that's a that's a that's a different story um, yes it is but again <laughs> I, I would consider you know the the implication of almost 
it, I, I do I use this term metaphorically, not literally, but the 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 effect of dark magic, the mm-hmm. idea of of the the turning of our technology. You look at the, uh, for example, comparing uh, the 1893 Columbia Exposition, uh, the 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 White City that mm-hmm. was was created uh, seemingly out of nothing, seemingly out of the mud and the marsh. Of a, of a particular area of, of Chicago that was heretofore uh, unusable land suddenly becomes uh, the, the white city, the city of the future, uh, the city of lights. And, and it takes homes, but. Yes, <laughs> yes. And, you know, 1893, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a rapid march of industrial technology and a, and a short march to the horrors of World War One. Exactly. I think that you know you 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 touched a little bit on on this dichotomy, talking about the the tension between sort of high society and um, bombastic capitalism, but also it, it's also um, a type of thinking and education and, and immersing ourselves in culture as well as how we deal with the world. And I really found it interesting a comment that um, James McPherson made in his book, Abraham Lincoln and the Second American Revolution, um, that um, he makes the argument that Lincoln was more effective than Jefferson Davis uh, in in leading their respective uh, countries because of um, his experience um, with everyday people and uh, rural uh, culture that, as he says, um, they they felt that the classroom of daily experience in which Lincoln articulated was far more valuable than the excellent training in the class seats in rhetoric, logic, literature, and science that Davis enjoyed. And those experiences gave him a rhythm of natural expression in, in key with natural life and an understanding of that natural life that allowed him to be more effective. Yes, um, I found that fascinating. And. You know, I, I think there is something to that. I think that um, now I, I, I think the sort of flip side of that is Lincoln had the advantage that he could move in both circles because he had the ability to engage in rhetoric and science, et cetera, very effectively. Um, and so I, you know, in reality, I think if, if you can, if you can uh, be effective in both spheres, that's, that's the key. Um, and one or the other gives you a disadvantage if you don't have that ability. Um, but many that end up in sort of leadership roles or you know big CEOs that kind of thing often don't have that everyday experience 
that that sometimes they can sort of lose the force for the trees. And I, I, I did find that fascinating. I guess a nice reference point is now was a, um, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Lincoln in, in the Ozarks. Well, Jefferson Davis has a connection to the Oklahoma Ozarks. His first post in the U.S. Army in the 1830s was Fort Gibson. Wow, that is interesting. And it's mm -hmm. coming back to just briefly coming back to Lincoln. I think his uh, his his reality as something of a of a folk hero, and in, in, and of course the implication of that quote is that Lincoln understood the pop culture of his era better than davis that oh definitely that the, the the pop culture of that time was a heavily rural america that was either impacting frontier settlement or had recently impacted frontier settlement and mm -hmm. that we're, we're also dealing with such a rapid um approximately 30 30 year uh expansion at which point the the uh, the far west of the united states was a constantly moving target mm -hmm. and you saw the the expansion and of course this is relevant to the ozarks because the ozarks were included in that expansion uh, with beginning with the louisiana purchase and then of course missouri becoming a state so approximately 1804 uh, 1803 1804 and then 1821 and then moving forward to the second the civil war that you see um, missouri and arkansas at crucial points of creating culture as it as as the nation moved westward and that had to have have created a certain amount of tension with the uh, the new england culture which had of course considered itself the nation for a very long time really even pre-revolution times and suddenly you have the nation including a lot more uh moving parts and and a lot more uh, perspective that was <clears throat> rougher, mm -hmm. uh, much less refined, much less uh, at times, much less emphasis on etiquette. And you you read the the early, for example, uh, you know, uh, the schoolcraft's references to Potosi. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Lewis and Clark's references to St. Charles, and they are less than, in times, less than diplomatic, because yeah. you're, you're talking about uh, Easterners who are, are suddenly interacting with Westerners. Yes, well, in, in, in basically being set down in, quote, the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yes. Very, very much. The and I, I still find it really fascinating. To me, again, you know, we're we're looking at the fact that this. On one hand, you might think, oh, that's relegated to you know dusty history books, but these points of development not only inform 
uh, culture today, but in reality, they're informing pop culture today, whether people realize it or not. Many of the perspectives that individuals in, say, rural Missouri, uh, as opposed to uh, more urban areas, et cetera, these are, are inclinations that are passed down from person to person, from generation to generation. And they, they do impact our culture. They impact us at a, at a very molecular level, our knee-jerk responses to certain situations. Um, very much so. And, and having, having um, lived in St. Louis, you know, going to law school, I, I always found it interesting, the sort of in-state versus out-state dichotomies and I would have to laugh um, but uh, it there is that sense there really is yes and and even now I think that there's there's a point of unwillingness to to cross those boundaries unwillingness to cross the borders uh, of thought and mm -hmm. and oftentimes it is the um, the more highfalutin uh, perspectives that are unwilling to to entertain the idea of uh, uh, slumming with the uh, uh, highly pragmatic, but at the same time a bit rougher uh, thoughts. Well, and, and, and it could be it could be uh, more subtle than that. Um, and actually, a, a particular incident, actually in law school, uh, comes to mind. It was in a in some class, uh, actually uh, trial class, I believe. And um, the discussion turned to trial presentation. And they started, the discussion went to accents and the fact that the more Southern accent you have tends to be more effective as a trial attorney because it, it tends to be more reassuring to a jury. And then there, there was a discussion between certain people there that were from the East Coast, generally, um, sort of looking down their nose. Um, and um, in particular, um, commented on my accent and one other person in, in, the, in the class who happened to be from Fayetteville. And Doug purposefully laid on the accent as heavy as he could and um, before it was over with, they had nothing to say. <laughs> oh, I love that. But it's, you know, it's, it, but it's just an illustration of that tension. It is, it is. And, and, and these, are, these are elements that are, are continuing to heavily impact uh, our, our, our nation and the, just the substrate of the, of the discussions uh -huh. from a from sociological perspective, from political perspectives across the board. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
and and I think that the you know coming back to Lincoln, the the brilliance uh, that we're looking at and we're discussing of Lincoln was that he could see both sides. Exactly, and so it's easy to say you know one makes you more effective or the other, but I really think it's it, it is that combination um, of being able to um, fit in in either world. It does. As appropriate. It does. And what is interesting, and I think that this is effective in our discussion moving ahead tonight on, on the, the topics for tonight's episode, but there is inherent contradiction in someone who can effectively see both sides because both sides are by their nature, they are sides. And the average person has a tendency to be pulled into one camp or the other, uh, along with the requisite tribalism and the requisite conflict against one's foe, etc. And it is a comparatively more rare individual who can truly step into both sides simultaneously. Well, lesson that I learned a long time ago was that you better you better understand the opposing argument better than your opponent <laughs> and yes. be able to argue both sides just as effectively yes and in in that in that space and that concept it to me is extremely reminiscent of a of an old magic concept which is the the druidic position uh, mm-hmm. of simply existing within liminal space. Exactly. <laughs> um, the uh, the old Celtic ways are not quite as dead as some people would suggest. No, at least not in all quarters. And and I think coming off of that for just a moment, uh, very interesting quote uh, said by a critic of. Um, P.T. Barnum, who we've already referenced just a bit, was a great quote saying that uh, P.T. Barnum's uh, implied motto or life motto was lie and swindle as much as you please, but be sure to read your Bible and drink no brandy. (laughs) Touche. I also found this uh, uh, an interesting reference again in terms of pop culture and it's a, it's a reference to uh the new york sun and in summer of 1835 the mm-hmm. new york sun announced that the british astronomer sir john herschel had made uh quote astronomical discoveries of the most wonderful description by the way quick source citation on this is uh uh birth of american popular culture from digitalhistory.uh.edu and the the sun began circulating the uh, the <laughs> the story that uh, with Herschel's new and powerful telescope, he had discovered planets and other solar systems, and most remarkably, the winged inhabitants of the moon. And as a result, the great moon hoax. Um, the sun's circulation soared from ten thousand to nineteen thousand, and that wasn't the only thing that they did like that so no uh, so we've had we've had a I mean, we're, we're talking about 
1835 and Aliens. Yes, and then, you know, basically, you know, that is sort of that beginning of pulp publishing um, on a broad scale that, that basically made a lot of pop culture possible. Um, uh, every time you go to the grocery store and you pass by the National Enquirer, the, <laughs> you know, whatever, you know, it, it's the same thing. And amazingly, there's still, you know, those those broadsheets are still in business. Um, I, I just I just miss Bat Boy. And I really <laughs> want to know what he's doing because presumably he's an adult now, but considering the copyright infringement of growing up, he cannot be referred to as Batman. Um, simply has to be referred to as bad person. And he may be depressed about that. <laughs> and I want to know. Oh, I... <sighs> these, these are, <laughs> these are the yeah. things that I think about while I'm getting I, ready I, to I pay for I think you wait. I think you've stood in line in the grocery store too many times. <laughs> well, <laughs> one's mind does strange things while contemplating six different varieties of cured beef jerky. Duly noted. <laughs> Gosh, away from the beef jerkies. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> over over the past two and a half years of. Dark Ozarks podcast, there's a growing list of things that uh, <laughs> my friends and colleagues know to keep me away from. <laughs> uh, otherwise, uh, occurrences and incidences of unfortunate cultural portent may occur. Yes, if anyone's wondering, we do keep a list. <laughs> yes, 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 they do. <laughs> I, I'm deep down, I'm, I'm grateful. <laughs> so, in uh, uh, one one of the coming back to to P. T. Barnum, uh, you know, there there is, and and I think it is part part and parcel, certainly with the uh, unaccounted for voyeurism. And desire for uh, for thrill, I think that comes along with simply being human. But mm -hmm. it could be argued that America does this a bit more bombastically than other regions. The United States specifically does this better than than some other areas of the world. This uh, headlong rush for. Um, the exciting, the grotesque, the thrilling, the unknown, and you know, just going over the the list of uh, of some of the things that P.T. Barnum uh, perpetuated uh, and and transitioned into pop culture. And don't worry, many of these things have uh, references, you know, continuations for today. Um, one one of his exhibits was a woman uh, that was interesting, uh, named Joyce Heff whom he claimed was 161 years old and had served as George Washington's nursemaid. And at, at, her, uh, uh, at her death, uh, an autopsy showed that she was 80 years old. Um, 
other other things were the Fiji mermaid, which had the head of a monkey and the body of a fish. I actually have a story almost associated with that. Um, uh, the 25 inch tall General Tom Thumb, Jumbo, mm -hmm. an immense white elephant. And then transitioning into characters that even in his own day, we talked a lot in our, our Missouri to Texas episodes, we talked a lot about Davy Crockett and the fact that he became a dime novel, almost a comic hero, mm -hmm. uh, larger than life hero who was fictionalized even while he was still alive before he was killed. I mean, that's, I mean, that's very, very true. Um, uh, and it was, a you know, it became a way of sort of selling, selling expansionism. Good point. Very good uh, point. And I, I think that is part of why America does it well is that um, since we since we have uh, prided ourselves on being a nation built on individualism, which is a bit of a contradiction to a lot of historical reality, but uh, we paint ourselves as individualists so that we uh, can step outside of our more parochial cultures, our either our folk culture, high culture, whatever. And so that there, there's an atmosphere that there can be a, a more universal shared experience than in a lot of societies. I agree. And you do have to take into consideration the, the sometimes ugly, sometimes exciting, sometimes tragic, sometimes extraordinarily successful, um, sometimes bought out and remade by the industrialist uh, American experiment of, of this process. It was an experiment. You do have to realize, I mean, there, there were things that were being tried out that did include, but were not limited to individuality, but included aspects that there, there were, there were uh, genuine draws and, and genuine uh, space of expansion, genuine places for, for individuals and families that were unbelievably appealing to others. And, mm -hmm. you know, looking, looking at the, uh, the mass migration of uh, uh, predominantly German families in the 1830s and 1840s into the St. Louis area, they, they weren't coming just with just just for the fun of it. Uh, they yeah. were coming because they believed in an idea, but they also believed in the access to opportunity and resource that clearly on a, on a very, again, coming back to that um, academic idea versus lived experience, uh, the life they were living in, in Germany following the wars of continental Europe were devastating. And mm -hmm. they were they were looking at a at a place to to build, and they did uh, sometimes tragically, but oftentimes very very successfully. And they were also a, a huge driving force and driving cultural force 
in ultimately making Missouri into a union state, um, largely against the will of rural Missourians who had been residing in the state a lot longer than the German immigrants in the St. Louis and along St. Louis area and along the Missouri River to Jefferson City. You know, I mean, it's in, uh, in to some degree. I mean, that that that's very true of pretty much every group that immigrated. Um, there, there was such a rigidity in society in Europe. Uh, things had gotten to the point where it was very rigid. Um, and so reality or not, the, I, the idea of individualism and upward mobility as a possibility um, was preferable to the reality that so many people lived in Europe at the time, that um, just the possibility was more of a draw than staying where they were. Yes, and mm -hmm. and un, in many cases, understandably so, and they were willing to risk their lives. Mm -hmm. in, in order yeah, to risk everything they had, yeah. Um, and um, by I think by embracing that image, America, created a sense of fluidity that um, allowed people to arrive and, and in part, you know, uh, since every, even if it's a couple of generations back, everyone is from somewhere else, it gives a sense of a common, more common experience at, on some level that allows popular culture to thrive, I think. I, I would agree. I think that's a really good point because we are all from elsewhere and mm -hmm. we are a new nation. I think that is something that for you know other other parts of the world, Europe obviously comes to mind, but the the fact that in many parts of the world a legacies have existed for thousands of years we don't typically have that. For us, an old building is 80 or 90 years old. Uh, a really, really old building is something that was built in the late 1700s. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for a lot of people, it's not uncommon to be living in a 300-year-old house. Yes, as a, as, as a, as a matter of course, uh, as opposed to a seven-year-old house. Exactly. So it, it does, I, I, I do think that the idea and the, the atmosphere uh, created a reality, um, at least for attitude and for ability to aspire to certain things. And, and popular culture played into that and was fostered by it. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. One of the next big things, of course, were dime novels and, and traveling theater, um, yes. which 
I mean, you did have in Europe, but I think it was more, seemed more prevalent in North America uh, in the 1800s and early 1900s. You, all kinds of not only, you know, after the Civil War, P.T. Barnum went into the circus uh, world, um, but you had minstrel shows, you had, later you had vaudeville, um, and it would incorporate so many different types of entertainment and they would go town to town. Um, it was known as the kerosene uh, circuit that uh, unless you were in one of the big cities like New York or Philadelphia that had theaters that um, had these shows in one place all the time, um, and now pretty much Broadway would be the only thing that would be analogous. Um, you had all kinds of traveling companies that would come into town and play a couple of nights and then they'd be off to the next town. And um, this, and, but by doing that, you had the same entertainment across the country basically so that I, I even hate to say this but it's almost like how today people go to McDonald's or someplace like that because they know what to expect right um, and so they had the same experience whether they were in Pennsylvania or Missouri or California with these shows and it created a common reference. It did. And it was something that heavily impacted and shaped, but was also shaped by rural America, which is uh, an aspect that I think post-World War II that our culture has really struggled with. It is interesting and I'm going to uh, play with some fun sources. Uh, <clears throat> because I am fixed to reference Beverly Hillbillies, Dukes of Hazard, Hee Haw, and Supernatural. And okay. basically the same time. And what is interesting on that is that the possibility that with shows like Supernatural, and there are others as well, but Supernatural is the one I'm most familiar with because of the Black Impala. And uh, Dean Winchester is my spirit animal, so what can I say? But, <laughs> but in that in that regard, the a really really beautiful reinsertion of rural America into public consciousness took place with Supernatural, but it was done in a very in a very uh, unanticipated package with uh, through the CW that instead of. Uh, slick sexy vampires you're getting basically route 66 dukes of hazard and the duke boys but presented in a way that would be palatable for uh the 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 um 2010 to 2020 audience but suddenly being introduced to as you previously noted the concept of uh of conjures the concept of um rural americana or the concept of rural folklore and the and even and I think this is uh, an interesting aspect, uh, the, the the repackaging of some of that uh, cowboy individualism 
and mm -hmm. also just the the idea that rural people are stupid that you you that was largely missing from about 30 years of american tv programming that that's that that's that's a good point and uh, it, it was refreshing that one it was you know it was set mainly in mid-america mid mm -hmm. uh small towns and you got a lot of that sense of the average person um and it was the every man you know let's say that the winchesters are the every man character winning it is it against is all odds. and <clears throat> that is reminiscent of interestingly enough two shows dukes of hazard being one of them which i grew up absolutely loving and uh fortunately my my basset hound is happy that he didn't end up getting named flash but that <laughs> and roscoe p coltrane is my hero just in case anybody wonders but <laughs> that uh but but also the beverly hillbillies and i'm going to make an interesting reference to uh a, a, a an ozarkian ozarks uh tourism icon that oftentimes gets disparaged and i live right next to it so i'm not going to disparage it um but but perhaps for for you know, for perhaps surprising reasons um the beverly hillbillies as long along with green acres and Petico junction uh, were TV shows that came onto, I believe, CBS and were, were just part of this rural dynamic until mm -hmm. the powers that be uh, canceled them despite their ratings because they did not want the network associated with rural hillbilly America. Mm -hmm. And the and, and the Beverly Hillbillies in particular, so I'm going to um, tie this uh, around to the Toby shows. And the Toby shows were part of that traveling minstrel concept, the, the vaudeville minstrel show. And it is largely lost uh, thanks to the efforts at Shepherd of the Hills and the homestead and farm, uh, as well as uh, actor, writer, preservationist, historian, um, and, and comedian, uh, Jay McFerrin here in Branson, originally from the, uh, I believe, Cape Girardeau or the Boot Hill area, Flatland. Um, Southeast Missouri, that uh, the Toby Show was resurrected, and in the for for a modern audience, for people who are unfamiliar, this was extremely popular. There were many Toby shows, and the theme is that uh, the city slicker comes into town who knows everything. He is going to cheat the 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 dumb hillbillies, uh, or the dumb rural people, and it would be tailored to individual regions uh, out of their land at, for a variety of reasons. And the, the process, if it was uh, more in the Southwest uh, or the South, it was because uh, he's saying that, you know, there's, there's uh, oil involved, et cetera. It just sort of depends on the, on the region. And at the end of the, of the drama, which is a comedy that the hillbilly proves that he knew what was going on all along. He was smarter than the city slicker and the city slicker of the, the, the city shyster uh, con man is himself conned. And this is, first of all, it's incredibly powerful. The, there is uh, an innate uh, 
written in self-awareness because the, the, the rural folks understand, not only do they understand how to function in defense against the, the city folks, but they also understand how the city folks perceive them. Mm -hmm. and, and in so doing, understand it well enough that they can uh, play the game better uh, on which, both sides. Which takes us right back around to the argument about Lincoln. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And <clears throat> there, there's also a great, uh, don't think we're going to go into it tonight, but a great segue, we've done it before, of the, uh, the fearsome creature, the fearsome critters, uh, mm -hmm. the, the folk tales that you just tell the windiest story that you possibly can to an audience who isn't a, typically a, a sophisticated, out-of-town, newcomer, urban audience that is so smart, they don't know that you're fooling them. And that is, first of all, it's incredibly powerful. Second of all, it becomes not just a plot. The Toby Show is not just a plot. It is the plot, multi-season plot of the Beverly Hillbillies. Yes. Well, uh, and inverted. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, on some level, Deuce of Hazard, et cetera, as well. So, right. I, and I can't help but make some ties whenever the Winchester brothers fool um, the power, the larger powers that be, that there isn't some aspect of that. There is, showing what a complete supernatural nerd that I am, uh, a bit of that that innate built-in dichotomy um, between that Sam and Dean are actually representing the two sides of the dichotomy because Sam, of course, is um, more sophisticated and Dean is more of a realist in terms of his, his response. Now, coming back to my near hometown, uh, adopted hometown, Hollister Branson, we're going to talk about Branson for just a moment. So much of the original comedy, I would say the 1970s, 1980s, what is oftentimes referred to as the golden years, the golden era of, of original Branson comedy. It was hillbilly comedy. And there were key hallmark points within essentially gimmicks or shtick within that. Some shows uh, active today still retain that. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll name drop just a moment. Um, uh, Presley's Country Jubilee uh, is mm -hmm. one of them. Uh, Grand Country, then uh, Grand Country Square, uh, the shows there, the comedy show and the Grand Jubilee on uh, Friday nights. These shows have, and, and there are others, those are the two that come to mind, as well as um, the shows that Jay McFerrin is producing out at Shepherd of the Hills. These shows follow this this uh, uh, shtick, essentially. There is uh, the, uh, the naive hillbilly who in all reality actually knows what's going on better than everyone else. This is mm -hmm. a callback to the Toby show. It is a callback to um, a, an, a, a level of understanding about rural America and the class divides um, of rural America versus urban America that are extremely potent. I think they're extremely relevant that at the same time, I've talked to so many people, I'm on my soapbox. I've talked to so many people, particularly 
in relationship to some of the brands and shows who do look down on these from a point of essentially a lack of awareness that we are still dealing with a continuation of pop culture. Well, yeah, I mean, if, if you don't get it, you just don't get it. Um, I mean, that, that's what that comes down to. Um, uh, my, 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 my dad used to like to walk that rope a lot um, uh, just for his own amusement. And um, because he, uh, you know, my dad was highly intellectual, uh, mathematical, musical prodigy, engineer, etc. Um, but he could be a walking Toby show. <laughs> yes. And relished in it. Yes. And I, I think that there is, unless, unless you're, you're unaware that, that that dynamic exists um there there is extraordinary catharsis there's also reassurance personal reassurance in that that mm -hmm. one's and and this the, this action could be reflective of the the larger uh every man's story of american history that your uh your the ability to work hard, your simply being a person um, mm. individually, that you do have autonomy, you do have personal agency, and you do have the capacity to exist within that threshold space of knowing what's going on in the larger world, but choosing your own path, even if in some cases they're, you know, the, the larger pressures uh, of culture are deriding it. Very true. Very, very true. You know, I think um, when we're talking about pop culture and we, we've been dancing around this a bit about how America seems to be more immersed in this or better at pop culture than other places, so to speak. And I, I, I I think you can't really uh, answer the question of why is that so without looking at World War II. True, true, on, on so many levels. And I think that there, there are moments in time of, we're just looking at American history for a moment, of course, this impacted world history to such a large degree, but we're in the dark arts, So we're talking about American history. Um, and you, you have the situation. I, I think that the, the, the monolithic result of the Second World War was mass industrialization that to such a vast degree upended um, American strata, the culture that had been being developed and developed and developed for um, well over a century and certainly in, in pockets of, you know, large, not even pockets, I would say large swaths of, of rural America that this was culture that had been in development in those spaces since settlement mm -hmm. suddenly being upended 
suddenly being, in some cases, literally, in other cases, figuratively bulldozed. Mm -hmm. uh, culture of uh, towns ultimately disappearing. Uh, thing, um, so many, uh, obviously, Red Oak, the original one, being one of ones that we've covered most recently, and a, a huge push toward uh, you know, the population moving to urban settings, the development, the, the creation, mass creation of the suburb, and the, in many cases, the, the destruction or the, um, the dwindling of the small family farms, and a, uh, a, a, an entire society that transitioned pretty much in one, you know, li in living memory, and in, in typically one generation from uh, a heavily agrarian and folk culture based society to an heavily urban and industrialized society. In, in the urbanization really makes, made pop culture possible on the extensive scale that it, that it became, but also part of the war the war effort itself ended up, particularly in the U.S. and the Allies more generally, basically put into place all of the pieces to make the expansion of pop culture easier later. Um, yes. From wartime. Uh, Oh, PSA movies um, and all of the effort, you know, for to be focused on everyone focused on a certain direction and very much saturated in TV, radio, advertising, etc. That um, we all got on the same page and uh, that became a way of life. It became a habit. It did. It did. That, that later advertisers and entertainment industries and technology um, used those pieces that were created and sort of put into a system during World War II. They have used that same format up until now. The technology just changes a little bit. Agreed. Agreed. And you know, taking ourselves out of the equation for a moment, you realize that the, the pop culture impacts and references that we have, and we're going to get into the aliens, demons, and the ghost hunting shows in a moment. So we're going to tie this in. <laughs> but that there, there is that, that shared language that 80 years ago, 50 years ago, if you plucked someone out of our past and dropped them into today, it would be absolutely bewildering in terms of what we're talking about. Yes, it, it would almost be like a another language, you know, so to speak. And it, and it's you know I was I found myself, of course this is you know dating myself, but referencing late nineteen sixties cartoons on a regular basis, and occasionally mm -hmm. singing along with the theme songs, and uh, that well. It's, I'm talking about Scooby-Doo. Um, and 
<clears throat> that again, this was a this was a shared experience. So many of us grew up as children watching these, and then depending on the context, finding uh, further value. And well, exactly. There is a reason you can say the Scooby Doo moment, and people know what you mean. Yes, it's a shorthand. And. It, and and some, for whatever reason, and, and I think that there, there are some compelling studies that, that indicate certain shows are able to resonate uh, down the years while others do not. Uh, you know, occasionally I find myself in discussion with, okay, what's, what's your favorite? What was your favorite Saturday morning cartoons? And, you know, the, the, the reality that, that Scooby-Doo and Bugs Bunny have just continued to resonate uh, through the ages, whereas my childhood brief childhood fling with the snorkels did not hold up so well <laughs> very very true very true and that that's where i've had conversations with with my my sons um before about the missing certain cartoons that you don't see very much anymore from their childhood that when you think about it they are very much akin to say scooby-doo um as far as narration and format, and there's something more universal going on. And, and something that I, that I think we're you know, both interested in is the fact that a, a point of longevity tends to be shows that aren't simply a show about a the thing that it's obvious about, but a show that speaks to more deep-seated, larger cultural anxieties. Exactly, and and pop culture is a way of almost being a pressure valve for them. It is, it is, and there, there's there's a couple of key ones that come to mind. Of course, dealing with Scooby Doo, the ghost hunting shows, mm -hmm. the you know, I think the, the larger cultural anxieties of we, we have bad guys that we can't see and that we don't understand. Mm -hmm. And suddenly uh, the Scooby gang is going up against bad guys that they can't see because instead of the guy, it's, uh, you know, a, a ghost, a witch, a, a ghost robot that one was fun uh, so on and so forth and then by the end of the tidy colorful um, somewhat psychedelic episode <clears throat> that the villain has been the 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 impossible to wrap your head around villain uh, the phenomena the negative phenomena has been unmasked as just a regular guy with regular motives like a bank robber and right. all is set right with the world and he would have made it too if it had been for those kids and that dog and <laughs> there is a there's a universal sense of catharsis as children uh we could watch it and, and, and experience the catharsis of scooby-doo winning at the end but as we grew up those those unseen but dark forces uh, that you know the, that we began to become aware of 
begin to, you know, we experience catharsis at a different level. Mm -hmm. Very true. Very true. And just for just, you know, for anyone wondering about the Ozarks, there is the episode for Scooby-Doo about the Ozarks. <laughs> and there, there was a, an interesting uh, point of discussion. I'm going to jump back to the Beverly Hillbillies for a moment. And there is a direct ties with the Beverly Hillbillies mm -hmm. and the Ozarks. Uh, the, the creator of the Beverly Hillbillies was Paul Henning. Paul Henning was in the Kansas City area, but he had vacationed and camped as a boy in the Ozarks many, many times. And he had an abiding love, not only for the Ozarks, but also hillbilly culture. And of course, that informed him in creating the characters of the Beverly Hillbillies. The Beverly Hillbillies um, were, were written in as, uh, at times, coming home near to Silver Dollar City. Right, Kirbyville is what they would usually say, but. And the, the connection there, they, um, the, the, the young Silver Dollar City, uh, because Silver Dollar City opened up the Marble Cave in 1960. So Silver Dollar City was at the time, I believe less than 10 years old and in, in, highly ambitious uh, marketing folks at Silver Dollar City managed to get uh, the theme park written into several episodes of the Beverly Hillbillies. And so mm -hmm. the Clampets returned home to Silver Dollar City and were filmed on the park. It was a huge moment of marketing for the theme park, which was still quite young. A huge moment for Taney County and Branson, et cetera, because millions of people watched the show and then mm -hmm. wanted to go visit the theme park that was the home of the Clampets or the, the, the visiting, the, you know, going back to, back to the mountains. But there was a, a capitalized theme that was going on. The 1950s, 1960s, we, because we know that we survived in the 1950s and 1960s without uh, a nuclear holocaust, can look back at the 20 years and the Vietnam War, et cetera, and regard it with a certain amount of nostalgia. But at the time, existing for the first time under the, the threat of nuclear annihilation. And you combine that with the deep anxiety of having taken a majority of Americans and transitioned them from uh, an agrarian society into an urban industrialized corporate society almost mm -hmm. overnight. I mean, in the, in the scope of world history, in the blink of an eye, taking statistically significant majorities of the population and moving them from, from farm to, to, to city. Mm -hmm. And these, these hillbilly themes, uh, whether it was with Silver Dollar City, whether it was with Branson, whether it was with the Beverly Hillbillies, and all of this is tied to the Ozarks, spoke um, profoundly to those anxieties. They, they did. And, and, and of course, from the artistic standpoint, they're just opposing it to Beverly Hill, you know, as opposed to Beverly Hills. Uh, I always was amused in the episodes where they would refer to going to here that here they're living in Beverly Hills, but they would be talking about home and going to the big city, the big cities of Springfield and Joplin. Yeah. 
you yeah. know um so it, it's all relative it it is and you know i think that the <clears throat> there's something you know one of the things that that ozarks tourism and of course this was a huge chapter in ozarks tourism that that ozarks tourism did and including at times making our roads impassable because there were so many people on them was uh, created a, a deep and abiding appreciation for something as simple as Ozark craftsmanship and Ozark crafts. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think that there, there's something very powerful in that because yes, you're, you're living your mm, somewhat unanticipated fragile existences in new suburbia uh, with, with all of the requisite uh, stressors of that and you're living under the threat of nuclear annihilation if you listen to the news and constant uh a constant barrage of what we in all fairness uh, may be uh, contemporary stress that we've more effectively acclimated ourselves to we've grown up with the bombardment of news the bombardment of threat the bombardment of uh sort of our, our daily ritual of, oh my gosh, are we going to survive this um, litany that a previous generation was not as accustomed to. Well, and, and the flip side of that is that some of the heightened sense of anxiety and uh, uncertainness that is going on now, uh, I've I've read um, articles uh, hypothesizing this, and I've I've wondered to myself that for people who are a little younger than us, you know, having a hard time dealing with with sort of uncertainties and everything, um, maybe related to why why we perceive them not dealing with those issues as well is that they never knew that sense of, you know, the annihilation could come at any moment. Yes. And so you had to live with that at the back of your mind and go on. And that it's a central threat went away in the early nineties and but the social stresses didn't and so right. it, it's like the subconscious worries about annihilation so you can deal with the present but now that's gone so they haven't quite figured out what to do yet and unfortunately the snorkels did not have a lot to to, to say uh, uh not. about <laughs> these factors and what uh, just perhaps to to wrap this aspect of it up coming back something that is has become uh almost a side genre in, for the fandom of supernatural is the fact that sam and dean and other characters in the in the storyline but particularly sam and dean's um uh, travails have spoken very effectively and sometimes very existentially as well to the subject of mental health. That's true. 
I mean, that that is true. That that was an ongoing theme. Um, um, and it also kind of illustrates that um, those issues can be looked at from different perspectives. Um, and for some that literally could be a supernatural issue could be mental illness to someone else. Right, which is, which is a pretty powerful observation. And, you know, and I can say for myself, I've, I've been watching Supernatural for a long time. I haven't completely finished the, uh, the series, so no spoilers. Um, but, and, and ironically, when things in my life got better, I was less mm, apt to watch it religiously. And there, there was a certain aspect, I think that this speaks to pop culture, the effects, sometimes the very positive effects of pop culture. Uh, but when things were really rough uh, in my life, there was something very cathartic about tuning in and realizing that Sam and Dean had broken the world and started the apocalypse again, and yet weren't, uh, or died, um, and, and had somehow managed to, if not succeed, at least just to keep going. Exactly, exactly. Um, does remind me of the episode where uh, they are defeating the British men of letters and the two hunters are brought in that killed them once and are surprised to see Sam and Dean and says, hi, we haven't seen you since you killed us. <laughs> yeah, just keep going. And there was, as, as cheesy as it might sound, there was something that's very powerful in terms of speaking narratively to the human experience, because I can personally say there were points that I, I would find myself going, well, if Sam and Dean could handle this, this next round of the apocalypse, I could probably go to work in the morning. <laughs> Fair. Fair. Oh, yeah. that might be a good, good uh, segue into pop culture and the paranormal overall. And, um, you know, we really went from monster movies of the 30s and B movies of the 50s and 60s to, um, well, sort of the beginning of, I guess, the beginning of the change would be maybe Rosemary's Baby in the late 60s, but really the Exorcist um, yes. really changed things for pop culture and the whole subject of the paranormal. It did to such a vast degree. And as uh, regulars with Dark Ozarks, uh, trivia note, we'll already know the actual events that inspired the exorcist, the majority of those events took place in the St. Louis metro area, not on the East Coast. Exactly. Um, uh, real case that, that, uh, happened over a course of months in in the st louis area so definitely an ozarks connection um and as as a teaser we we we, we may we may force josh to watch the exorcist on camera for his reaction since <laughs> disclosure you've never actually seen it i've never actually seen i've never actually seen the exorcist yes full full confession and i've seen clips uh, i know mm -hmm. what the story's about uh, I read uh, a book on the original case files, 
but I have not actually seen the film. So I think that would be, I think that would be fun. And uh, I'm, I'm totally up for it, so. Popcorn and I, I, we need to do that. We'll have to, we'll have to do that sometime. I'm, I'm going to be picking out my favorite canned soup for the occasion. Pea soup, it's gotta be pea yes. soup. I know, I know. And, yeah. and full, full circle with Supernatural, Linda Blair uh, was in a guest, uh, made a guest appearance on a Supernatural episode. Actually one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> mine too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mine too. I have it on DVD. And that, of course, I think that their folklore itself uh, has always denoted a certain element of fear regarding the mm -hmm. supernatural. Uh, fear or trepidation you can't read uh you know sleepy hollow you can't go over the old scots irish folk tales without people being afraid of something well but, that's true that's true but we had gotten to a point in america where uh the supernatural was a parlor game i mean um people did seances and and the ouija board on friday night um and it, it was family fair um, and it was not viewed with the trepidation and fear that it is now until William Peter Blatty uh, wrote The Exorcist and then um, the movie, which he, he wrote the screenplay, he adapted his own book for, this, uh, for the movie into screenplay. Um, yeah. And to be honest, I mean, it's um, it's a good example of you, you, you would not consider the book high culture um, by any means. And so it, 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 it falls into pop culture, but it's extremely well written. And um, I think it's a really good example that pop culture can be good and not cheesy. I think sometimes people just equate pop culture with being cheesy. I agree. And something that I find at times amusing, at times frustrating, is that in many cases, what we now regard as high culture began as pop culture. Very true. Very, very true. Shakespeare is a good example of that. Yes. I, I, I find that probably the most compelling aspect and in certainly a strong argument for not placing some of this culture too high on a pedestal or too low. Exactly. Just enjoy. I mean, that, that's one thing. Um, but I think it was the reaction that people had to the movie that was the signal of change to come. Um, this was, as far as I know, the first time, I mean, you had people running out of the theater, you had people passing out and fainting in the theater. Um, and, you know, really signaled there's something there's something different here, so to speak. And um, it definitely resonated. And it, it's at this point that you start getting discussions of 
you know, a lot of things that are satanic, demonic. Uh, the Ouija board is now evil um, and, and things like that, that prior to that just did not, were, were not in the consciousness. Uh, 125 years of classy spiritualism wiped out with one film. Exactly. High culture wiped out. Um, and um, which again is a testament to Blatty's talent, but um, it, it, it still amuses me that we, we are still dealing with the fallout from that 50 years later. Well, and the, you know, on a, on a, on a, on a simple level, the uh, pop culture reference of pea soup is, yeah. is instantly understandable, even by people like me who've never seen the film. But <laughs> things, things that uh, I, I grew up under a rock, but that doesn't mean that I stayed there. Um, <laughs> that that at, at the at the same time, certain uh, conventions are inured within society. And just dealing with uh, the, uh, the the concept of demonology is, you know, and, and of course we see this um, echoed many, many times in supernatural, but not solely in supernatural. For example, everyone seems to know what holy water does, um, whether it does that or not. And Everyone knows what an exorcism is, even if they can't describe one in actuality. Right. Uh, everyone knows how these things are supposed to work. And I, I would say that this heavily, not only heavily influenced, influenced uh, American culture and the, the perception of the paranormal. Uh, and that was as, as if that wasn't large enough, then guys came along and introduced us to what we really need to be worried about in terms of Native American burial grounds. So it's a full gamut. And well, it, it is. I mean, and, and really the, the, the fixation had started to wane until the, about 79 and the Amityville Horror um, book and movie came out, which... Yes has i mean much of it has been recanted that and it's pretty clear that at a bare minimum the allegations in the book and the movie were exaggerated greatly um but in pop culture that's not the case you 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 know it it that 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 footnote has not been filtered through and you if in particularly in the paranormal circles for um uh, for the audience for for the uh fans um you still get that carte blanche that was you know entirely accurate reality um and that really affects things uh then you do get you get poltergeist and then you get ghostbusters uh and you get so you 
you move into, I think Polar guys kind of introduced us unwittingly to uh, the genre of ghost hunting, uh, even though at the time we probably, we, we didn't really realize it at the time. And then um, Ghostbusters, of course, did more so, but in a comedic um, aspect. Yes. And, and I think everyone was like, okay, yes. other than having sort of the satanic cult craze and fixation for about 20 years in there, um, where people were just afraid that Satanists were everywhere and and committing all kinds of heinous crimes uh, that never were proven, pretty much. Um, then um, reality TV happened. Yes. <laughs> yes, it did, uh, along with the ghost shows. And, mm -hmm. you know, various aspects. I think the, the thing that comes to mind off the top of my head is, it, uh, a comment that, that we got from a, a uh, great attendee at one of our events. I'm not knocking uh, what he was saying because it's very respectful. Um, mm -hmm. But I remember the, the subject of shadow people, shadow men being brought up. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, if it's black, it needs it's demonic, right? Right. And, and, and again, I'm not, we, we welcome the the interaction we welcome the feedback we welcome these discussion points they're very important and many people uh who are very uh, certainly very interested or very engaged oftentimes their only port of entry or point of entry for the subject are the tv shows are the films are the 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 reality shows and having to filter everything through that commercial lens and so and at the same time, the just the idea that almost a matter of fact, this is how this is. No, not necessarily. Um, these things work very differently. It also, and I may get something thrown at me for this one, not by you, um, is the this uh, cottage industry of exorcisms and cleansings that seem to have arisen out of response. And I'm going, guys, this Do doesn't yourself work. yourself exorcisms. I know. And there's, there are a number of um very effective and intelligent ways of certainly perhaps brightening a space through traditional folk ritual and those are lovely uh, mm -hmm. i have been known to engage in those not to banish something uh, yeah. but simply because i like to do it but to you know hang out a shingle and say you know uh exorcisms and banishments are us uh, my sage and I will be over shortly upon request without realizing it we're we're stepping into another pop culture cliche which is whatever you need you can just order it up yes and that everything has a five minute resolution um yes. you know fast food service please um yes uh, but sorry, your ghost is not a happy meal. Right. And um, and there's a lot of people who get really just upset at the, you know, at the fact that, you know, when you say no, that, you know, it doesn't always work that way. Um, 
because there there seems to be a, a, a pretty large disconnect with a lot of people on, on that, that it, it has to be resolved like that. It can just, and I, I said to someone while back, they were talking about this and I thought, and I finally said, if you really think that anything can be gotten rid of with a sage bundle, don't you think that basically there would be nothing out there at this point? Because. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is unfortunately much more complex than that. And, yeah. but then on the, on the, on the upside, is it is also typically much, much, much less malevolent than we're being led to believe. True. And that can be very encouraging. That can be exciting. That can be a relief. Um, the, the, the other thing, and I think is, is without realizing it, this is one of the, the pervasive aspects. I wouldn't consider it a negative or a positive in regards to pop culture. I would simply consider it um, simply is, but it is this, in this case, um, the, the things that we don't know, the things that we've learned that we don't know we've learned. And if those things are incorrect, we are poorly equipped to handle certain situations, but we think that we're highly educated on the subject. That is a, an unpleasant uh, and, and anxiety-inducing place to be. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a place to be that many of our much older past generations in primitive societies, quote unquote, primitive is and they didn't have cell phones, um, or TV, or newspapers, or trains, but they they had highly advanced um, social and metaphysical structures to give them a sense of place within the universe and a way to navigate that place within the universe. Um, sometimes effectively, sometimes not, but certainly a a, a clear and structured pathways that we large we're we're largely stripped of and that has been replaced with pop culture so a, a point you know a, a coming back to this core point that that you just made when we on the ground are approached with uh, i have a haunting and i don't like it what is largely being asked without being realized that it's being asked is please get rid of my ghost problem in 44 minutes you go 44 minutes yes 44 minutes that's the duration of the episode yeah pretty much and um it it, it surprises me how many people sort of just accept whatever's presented on tv as you know carte blanche uh full disclosure and and I think it's willful this you know a disconnect um, that oh they're telling me that it can be dealt with and this can be banished or or this can be explained this easily and so I'm good with that because now I don't have questions yes and and I can just call someone to take care of my problem um, and. Um, in reality, those people often are disappointed if they do have a problem. Yes. 
and and we do see that um, not just you know with a you know an investigative case, but just on the the our educational points in in public events, there you know an, an individual can arrive with their their set of preconceived ideas, and when we don't agree with them for a variety of contextual reasons, there is disappointment. Uh, and and sometimes um, a, a negative response. Yeah, often it, I, I think often to me it seems that it's the a disappointment that the particular TV show I identify with hasn't told me the entire truth. Right, right, and quite frankly, there's no reason they have to. No, I mean, it is entertainment. I mean, they, they, they call it reality because it's not, you know, quote, not scripted, although that's a bit of a misnomer in most cases anyway. Um, but it's made to look that way. Um, and, you know, and for its uh, foibles, it has served some positive purposes um it has it has i mean people are are more aware and and in fact you know studies um there's a gallup poll but i've seen other studies as well that you know about three-fourths of americans believe in, that ghosts exist um so uh, oh go ahead I was just saying a, a large number of people and the, the, the individuals who choose to be skeptics or the, you know, because of their, their experiences are, or lack of experiences are skeptics, um, which I appreciate mm -hmm. that <clears throat> they, they really struggle wrapping their head around this, but many people become quote unquote believers after they've had uh, an experience with inexplicable phenomena that fits the criteria for a haunting. True. I mean, I, I think that uh, I think uh, a lot of believers were skeptics until they just had something they could not explain otherwise. And um, and it's you know neither here nor there whether someone is you know a believer or skeptic. Really, I mean, it's I think it's just a matter of experiences, but. I, I think that pop culture in this instance has been uh, a catharsis for people who've had experiences and not been able to share them or been able to openly process their experiences in the past. Um, and that's very positive. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's been an issue for a long time in certain segments of the population in, in society but even more so after the exorcist you know that there must be something wrong with me or i'm crazy or um because i think there's that there's that unspoken uh belief that for some that okay if i admit that ghosts happen and everything then i have to admit that maybe things in the exorcist are real and I don't want to go there. And so we just deny everything. Yes. And 
there's, and certainly the uh, hucksterism quality that surrounds, not necessarily, I'm not specifically picking out a, a reality TV show, but just the many aspects of the paranormal entertainment that has existed for decades. Uh, on one hand, uh, a positive uh, place of communal knowledge and catharsis for individuals who have had experiences. And I think that the, uh, the certain amount of personal investment in one show or another, uh, one idea or another, it tends to come from the fact that for some, for many uh, who've grown up in essentially a secular American society, and by secular, I mean bereft of a, a metaphysical lore, mm -hmm. that there's, there's this, this unhinging quality of having had the experience, and then you're grasping for some solid ground. And this, this new solid ground becomes your new secular dogma of saying, now I, I thought I knew how the world worked, and then I found out I didn't know how the world worked. And now I've learned how the world worked. It's just different than what I thought it was. That's true. And then there's another subset that did have that metaphysical lore, but the metaphysical lore that they were brought up with told them, if you have an experience, it's bad, it's evil, everything's yes. evil. Um, and so, they had the same the same uncertainties but now lots of guilt uh, right. thrown on top of it um and um and fear and fear um so uh either way it caused problems uh for people um for a lot of people anyway um, yes. and so yeah, and and I agree that the a lot of the the shows and and what what's portrayed does become that sort of their own dogma, um, which I think explains some of the inordinate um, adherence and belief in some of the gadgets that, and and while certain and while some devices and meters etc have some value. There are some that just absolutely have, you know, defy rational belief that you see people buy into hook, line, and sinker because they saw it on a TV show. Like uh, searching for EMF spikes with your cell phone? Well, that, but my, my favorite is the SLS camera with the, the stick figure avatar, you know, that is a stick figure, so it's a ghost. And it's like, no, it's an avatar. It's reflecting off the wall or the table. Um, and that's why it's sitting on your head, on, on the person's head on the camera. Um, but people, you know, you see it, you know, oh my gosh, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. It's a ghost sitting on his head. Okay. Yes. Or, sitting under a table in a fetal position. Okay. I'm just going to throw it out there. When I become a ghost, I'm going to sit on people's heads. I think it would be fun. That's all I'm going to do. Uh, <laughs> just, to, just to be incredibly annoying. 
Um, Do I need to burn sage? <laughs> That's okay. You <laughs> you don't have to drive me. You don't have to drive me out with sage. You can just lure me out with a bucket of, of fried chicken. Uh, I have a bucket of fried chicken. You'll never leave. <laughs> the trick is to put it outdoors. Oh, okay. <laughs> it it appears as an offering. Um, okay. So then, when the door so, so, so then when we get poltergeist activity and the door opens, we know you're just coming back in for more yes. things. <laughs> yes, just yeah, chicken outside, not inside. We're good, but the and if somebody's wondering about the uh, um, the 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 EMF electromagnetic fields. Um, I, I have watched individuals at the uh, recommendation of tours, no names, not any around here, um, but the recommendations of tours to download um, essentially a K2 meter app mm -hmm. and then walk around looking for EMF spikes with their cell phone. And for people who are unfamiliar with that, Anytime that you get a text or a phone call, your phone itself is spiking EMF through the roof. Yeah, well, actually, anytime it, it, it anytime any data is sent or received. Yes. Uh, and so, yeah, you're 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 going to have all kinds. Uh, um, there there were several apps for several years where they it would purport to be. I look like. Uh, almost a radar screen and they'd have blips and this is where the ghosts are and and you know people would seem to really buy into that you know and it's like no it's whatever it is it's just an algorithm creating something random yes. um and it's not but, nearly that easy or that simple yes um which stores a dichotomy for you know, most people, most people don't believe everything they see on the internet, but it's almost like if we put it into a phone app or it's on TV and you're interested, then that ration, you know, that reasoning goes out the window. And I guess that's the next layer is that you had the reality TV shows and then a proliferation of of content on the internet, then social media, YouTube, etc. That um, and a lot of it makes the reality TV shows look pretty darn scientific. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. But without real, whether we realize it or not, we're we're really hearkening back to PT Barnum. It, it really is, and it, you know, you start watching some of the YouTube channels and just some of the clips you see, some of the stuff you see on social media um, uh, regarding the paranormal, and it it really it really does it 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 really harkens back to the PG mermaid. <laughs> so one of the things that I've I've found. And since since becoming a, um, a 
a, a Am I an official or unofficial member of Paranormal Science Lab at this point? I don't know. You're, you're, you're definitely a member. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I know I'm part of Dark Ozarks, but then co-producer. But, uh, but as Wouldn't part you like of it or the, not? Oh, uh, I do like it. I like it very much. Uh, as part of the the uh, team, and certainly at public events, that the individuals find very at times find very confounding is that I don't watch paranormal ghost hunting shows. Uh, I'm, I am completely at a loss in terms of, I'm, I'm familiar with names at times because we have these discussions. I have initially just really wasn't in the loop uh, because yeah. I was coming at all of this from a journalism and a folkloric and a culture standpoint, not from a paranormal standpoint. Although, uh, you know, I do have a strong Celtic ancestry that lends itself to sensitivity of the weird, but it's certainly appreciation of the weird, but which reminds me, uh, once I saw a mermaid constructed entirely out of mud that was locked in a case and it still gives me nightmares because I'm not sure it might not have come alive at one point and slithered into the rest of the antique shop. But uh, the first half of that is true. The, the other um, aspect of this is that, you know, we have folks who come and start talking to me about certain methodologies or certain individuals who are stars. And then I just say, I don't know anything about that. And they, look at me as though I'm the, the, the huckster for having the audacity to be involved in the paranormal and not also be involved in the pop culture reality TV show, YouTube channel genre as yeah. well. And, and, and to be honest, I, you know, I don't watch a lot of it either. Um, no, I know you don't. And, um, you know, yeah. Occasionally, if I'm uh, channel surfing and I see see one, I might watch for a little bit to see what I, you know, I'll I'll do that every once in a while to see oh, are they doing anything different or is this a location I'm not familiar with, um, and but I, I when you understand the formulas being used. You don't really need to watch them all the time. <laughs> right, right. And I think there's there's also a certain amount of fairness to um, the fact that we're too busy actually doing this stuff to be busy watching it. That's, that's true. Um, and I find, what I find um, are the, the ones that actually do a lot of investigation themselves in actually then have a show they tend to be a little different perspective um, um, and not quite as over the top pop culture wise um, you know that may not you know that may not be you know hard and fast for everyone but it is a tendency um, that I think the more you really investigate it does tend to try to steer make you steer away from some of that pop culture uh incentive although 
once once there's a TV show and production companies and networks involved, you don't always pull the strings either. So very very true, very. So. True. And it's the the thing that I think, and is very important to note if, for any individual who is a fan of a particular show um, or a fan of several of them. By all means, enjoy it. Enjoy it, and 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 candidly, I you know I'm friends with and know a lot of these people um, yeah. anyway, um, and I uh, not disparaging them as individuals by any means. No, nor uh, disparaging many aspects of their research or their investigations, but no. it's just deeply important to understand that these are shows that are collated and formed for entertainment and for specific advertising purposes that at best you are getting a snapshot mm -hmm. of a situation not the and entire situation though at, at the same time occasionally capturing really really um compelling evidence sometimes they do once a in a while a lot of the EVPs are are, eh, are questionable, but <laughs> yes, yes. Now, one other thing, a couple other things, I, I want to go into just a little bit, as because so much of this does revolve around technology as it has evolved, whether it was from mass producing newspapers and dime novels to World War II to the the internet, etc. Um, a couple more sort of almost consequences to the current pop culture phenomena regarding the paranormal one um, is revolves back around to books and now there is a strong subgenre of paranormal romance books yes <laughs> that which is at a total 180 degree um, from the exorcist and the effects of the exorcist where in that in that vein we are terrified of the paranormal is the consequence now we want to sleep with the paranormal and marry it <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> Oh, sexy werewolves. That's, uh, uh, and, and, and of course, in that, that particular reference, and interestingly enough, again, in terms of the, the way that pop culture inures itself into our consciousness, we recognize it even if we can't necessarily cite it. Yeah. Thank you, Twilight. <laughs> and, and, and oftentimes, uh, even if we have never watched it, um, realizing the uh, the thought process that I have just set in motion, I realized there's two films that I've not seen. One of them is Exorcist, and I hate to say it, the other is Twilight. Now I, I think I'm actually more afraid that y'all are going to wake me watch Twilight. <laughs> Disclosure: I haven't watched it either. So. Okay. <laughs> Which is, 
which I I would be more I think I'd be more frightened to watch Twilight. <laughs> I mean, I've watched the Exorcist a number of times, but I think I'd be it's, definitely more frightened of Twilight than the Exorcist. But. Oh, okay. So, uh, you know, that might be the second round is watching Twilight. Yes, I dedicated viewers weigh in. Uh, <laughs> film film response uh, react film reaction to Josh watching Exorcist. Film reaction to Josh and Lisa watching Twilight. There you go. <laughs> um, now uh, then, the other uh, thing, the other sort of repercussion has been a resurgence of urban legend yes. uh, via the internet and stories related on the internet. Um, so much of the pop culture urban legend bailiwack from the 50s to the 80s and when even into the 90s but particularly 50s to 80s centered around youth culture and facing fears and so you have your crystal lake legends you have you know hatchet man legends those kinds of things and advent of the internet um you have things like slender man now yes which um i got asked even just a few months ago about whether it was real mm-hmm. which i mean it 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 really um i mean there's there is no question it was a story that um appeared online you know it took on a a real world connotation when two young girls committed murder um and cited slender man yes um which at the time that happened, I, I almost wondered, are we going to sort of rehash the, the, the satanic cult fear of the 80, you know, 70s and 80s? Uh, but it, it kind of died out after that. But you still occasionally get people who think, oh, this must be a real thing. And I there almost means seems to be conflation between it and shadow men for some people. True. Very true. I was going to, I was going to bring that up that there, that there, there does, there does seem to be that, that connection and that anticipation of course the fear associated, uh, the fear becomes associated with, um, with the appearance of shadow men. Yeah. And, and it's probably just the etymology. Probably. Um, and I mean, it is depicted as being dark and, you know, black, etc. So, yes. I mean, it's almost a, a you know, a, a comic version of a shadow man. Um, so I, I, I guess I get that. Um, you know, there have been a few others that have sort of raged uh, on the internet. 
that um, you really didn't hear about before war. Um, probably black black eyed children are the one that comes to mind the most, and it now it wasn't a, a, a as far as we know a purely fictional creation. Um, there's a story of a, it's either out of New Mexico or Arizona, I can't remember which. It was a it was a newspaper journalist sitting in, a, and he tells the story that he was sitting in a parking lot writing out checks, paying bills and getting ready to drop them in the mailbox. And these children walk up and they ask to be let in, the, you know, the car for a ride and everything. Notice their eyes are, are black, et cetera. And there was, you know, something odd about them and the feeling of this is not right. Um, yes. Again, very much lore akin to vampire lore. You know, we can't come in unless we're invited, that kind of thing. Um, but that motif certainly spread. It did. Via the, via the internet. I do think it's fair to say that Slenderman's um, PR people are better than the Black Eyed Children's. Yeah, I mean, they, they, it's kind of died down, but there for several years, there were there was a lot of stories about Black Eyed Children, you know, uh, supposedly people having encounters, but it, it just had the feel of mass hysteria. Right, and, and just in turn, there, there is something powerful and compelling about scaring the hell out of yourself on the internet at one o'clock in the morning by yourself. That's and, true. And then maybe looking out your window and thinking you see something. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and, and I speak from personal experience on that. I, I had my um, seductive fling with the black eyed children. <laughs> um, deep in the nether regions of the internet and uh, following that through. And of course, transitioning, going, you know, the step-by-step -step process that, and this is the power of the internet over the course of um, say, um, you know, two hours, you can <laughs> go from a, a level of education that begins with uh, what the hell is a black eyed children? Let me click here to two hours of down the rabbit hole uh the uh, the wind taps the uh the willow tree against the window uh of the bathroom and you nearly crap yourself to death because you're sure <laughs> the black-eyed children not only do you know what they are you now know that they're after you <laughs> i've also you know i've I also wonder if there's a sort of a subconscious um, component to the Black Eyed Children tales that is almost a um, response to uh, the men in black phenomenon. I think that that would be interesting to chart and a very, very interesting thing to postulate. I, I'd be very, I like that. I mean, granted, men, men in Black uh, encounters go back much further, uh, certainly predate the internet. Um, 
and actually predate the mass uh, consumption of stories about UFOs and abductions and so on and so forth. Yes. Um, so there, there seems to be more of a foundation there, but um, for me, Black-eyed children seem to be almost a compilation of Men in Black and Vampire War. That That is interesting. And, and I think that's a very, very fair place from which to conjecture. The, personally, I just blame the Kentucky Goblins, but most people who know me know I blame the Kentucky Goblins on most things, um, including my cell phone bill. So it's the, 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 the thing about the, the, the Black-eyed children phenomenon in pop culture that I find really compelling, just as, a, as, a, as an aspect of culture, I'm not saying compelling as a phenomenon. Uh, it, first of all, just how ridiculously unsettling the description of the phenomena is. Yeah. And the the good the the folks the good folks on creepypasta who uh, you know writing the good stuff know not to take it over the edge. I was actually clicked on a it wasn't creepypasta, but just a, a compilation of black eyed children's stories that are on YouTube <laughs> a while back because uh, I needed something relaxing to fall asleep by. And at one point in the story, the, uh, the, the said narrator protagonist is run screaming out of her apartment building because the black-eyed children were floating in the air on the, the, the outside her window on the third floor. And, and I'm going, okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just going to go to sleep now because you, you jumped the shark. You hit yeah. the shark. Um, speaking of sharks. I have my own little mackerel right here. Um, <laughs> but hi. But there is the the good ones, and in most cases, the 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 this early internet stories that start at least started the phenomena or appear to have started the phenomena were like a like a good vampire story. Um, so creepy precisely because of what wasn't told rather than what was is right i mean they, they really do fit as vampire lore more than anything and and to be honest is a little reminiscent of anne rice um and her child vampires yes claudia is phenomenal yes from 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 that perspective Again, we're, we're coming back to things that, that speak really heavily into our psyche. And you, you could say that they are a creation of our psyche. In some cases, there's a very real possibility that some of this phenomena has actually occurred. We're not discounting that. No, no. Uh, but in a lot of the reiterations, it, you know, it, it, it relies very heavily on those cliches. It does, but but that's okay. That with the understanding that these this is is part of this larger tapestry, 
that is some fact is some fiction. Um, but the, the, the truth is that the, the narrative in some way speaks heavily into the human experience. Agreed. Now, as, to kind of tie this together, perhaps pop culture, internet age, Ozarks, Let's torment Josh one more time with his his favorite <laughs> favorite critter, the 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 Ozark Haller. Ozark Haller. Oh my goodness. There, there, there are just gonna be some things that that follow me. And uh, and the Haller is one of them. But, I, but wouldn't you say that uh, the Ozark Haller really has become a pop culture item. Yes, and it, in that regard, certainly there, there's an aspect of perfect storm that you you really don't know <laughs> if the dog is wagging the tail or the tail is wagging the dog. I have or the cat or whatever or the, or the bear. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> for those of you on on, on uh, video, I, I have my 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 favorite Ozark Howler. Um, he's shy. <laughs> and um, he's he's being a little troublesome at the moment um my 10 month uh, basset hound puppy but for for folks who are listening on audio only podcast that's not me making those grunting noises uh, but he's been asleep at my feet for most of the uh, most of the episode now <laughs> along with that the 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 I think as as we discussed earlier in, in earlier episodes, um, there is a the the power of the the power of the howler um, is that it is so poorly defined. It is so poorly defined as uh, that there's. It, it can be many things, mm -hmm. and and as a result, it fits. It it can be it can be neatly tucked in. It can be neatly tucked into whatever box that you want, and as a as a result of that, you just you know TV producer, uh, urban legend developer. Uh, folklorist, uh, quick uh, fictional writer on on the internet doesn't matter. The Ozark Howler can fit into your box. It's very convenient. Or on a billboard. Yes. And I think I think that's the the sort of that per as you said perfect storm with making it pop culture is that you you had you have actually something that you know you would originally have been folk culture that has now become mainstream a broad awareness um, that is driven by the technology of the internet and advertising right 100 percent and some of it is some of it is just fun uh, oh. and uh, you know one, one of my favorite things 
is the the development of the the Ozark Cowler uh, dark beer at Turkey Creek yeah. Brewery. Yeah. And I, I like that. <laughs> I like the beer. Um, it is good beer. It, it really is. And there's, of course, the, the Ozark Howler um, Mountain Bike Park on mm-hmm. Highway 65, just north of Branson. I haven't gone out there because I don't mountain bike. I like all of my limbs to remain in an unfragmented uh, position. <clears throat> so me and mountain biking are not going to be happening anytime soon. There's, but, and, and those, those are fun. The, the thing that I, I found, again, confounding is, is when, the, when the tail starts wagging the dog, so to speak, that the um, larger producer powers that be in other states start calling people like us, asking us for Ozark Howler lore. And I'm going, first of all, why? Um, Second of all, could I interest you in a snoffus? And um, th- third of all, no, I don't care. But <laughs> the conversation sort of, you know, went along in that order. But it, it is just, it is interesting what things uh, punch, you know, which buttons and why. Very true, very true. Um, and but that is sort of the definition of pop culture. It is, and it's it, not going to it's not going to end anytime soon. No, no. So as a result, I have made my peace with the Howler. Uh, the Howler and I will be writing a book series and running away <laughs> together on a mountain bike trail with beer. Just make sure there's a camera. I will. I will. Otherwise, we'll. I would. I would just become a figment of my own urban legend. Perhaps you have. <laughs> Documentation is important. <laughs> That's right. And on that note, <laughs> don't forget to check out uh, upcoming events and merchandise at darkosarts.com and paranormalsciencelab.com. Thank you again to uh, Always Buying Books and Beard Engine Brewing Company for helping to bring the Dark Ozarts to everyone. On the next episode, we will discuss the Scots, Irish, lore, history, and heritage. Catch the Dark Ozarts podcast on Branson Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or about any other podcast platform. Thank you, everyone. And remember, there are no easy answers in the Dark Ozarts.